Um, I want to encourage us to think through the difficulties that our world is going through these days. Uh, in times of war, uh, nations make alliances to gain strength uh, and to increase in their ability to overcome an enemy. Uh, they're seeking to recruit other nations to be on their side against the enemy. We're seeing that right now in the nation of Ukraine. It's difficult to see the conflict there continuing at such a devastating rate. Uh, in any human conflict, not just a national scale, a scale, but in any human conflict, people seek to get others to take their side, uh, to make a stronger case for whatever they're doing. A sports team will try to recruit the best players to be on their team. Uh, people in the workplace, if there's work politics uh, in, in the workplace, we try to get people to be on our side, to uh, support what we're doing, to make sure that our project will have success. Uh, even in casting a vision to get a goal done, uh, people want to recruit others to help them accomplish uh, their goals and aims. Yet there are times when other people get the credit for what someone else really makes possible. Uh, someone else may take the victory or the credit for the victory in a competition. And this happens a lot in the secular world. This happens a lot. It happened a lot with the people of God in the Old Testament. The people of Israel were in danger of crediting a past victory either to themselves or to their human leaders and they fail to see who truly should be credited for the victory that they've had. And we do this often as well. When things turn out well for us, when we escape from a tight spot, we have an inborn instinct to trace the human cause behind it, to think of that our strategy that our wisdom, that our abilities, uh, or the people who brought it about uh, are to be credited for the good things that have happened. And this is the situation that the psalm we are looking at this morning will speak to. The psalm that we are opening this morning, Psalm 124, challenges God's people to, con to consider who truly was the essential helper for them in the past so that they can have confidence that the Lord is the one true helper they must look to in the present. So this psalm will challenge us to consider who's on your side. Do you have anyone on your side? Who do you look to? Let's look to God's word this morning to Psalm 124. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. A song of a sense of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When the anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fallers. 
The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of his word in our hearts? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for revealing your word to us, particularly in this psalm, that you would take time to encourage your people to consider that you are our only help. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that Christ would be exalted, in a way that your power and majesty would be seen afresh by the eyes of our hearts so that our confidence and our reliance would be only in you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Psalm 124, if you're visiting with us, we are working our way through uh, the Psalms of Ascent. And this morning we are looking at this particular psalm. Uh, it's a short psalm. And the intent of the psalm is to teach God's people to see the Lord as their help in the present time. That's a simple message of this psalm, to teach God's people to see the Lord as their helper in the present time. This psalm intends to help God's people magnify the Lord as their essential help in their present lives. So perhaps my encouragement to you from this psalm would be be refreshed in seeing God as our help in all circumstances. Be refreshed in seeing God as our help in all circumstances. This morning, uh, we, as we look at the psalm, we'll notice that the psalm has two stanzas and then the last verse, depending on your, your Bible translation, the last verse is set apart separately as the conclusion to this psalm. The lesson is stated simply in verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is the lesson. And uh, the encouragement from this lesson is for us as followers of the Lord, of Christ, we need to be refreshed in seeing the Lord as our help in all circumstances. Now, why would God's people need to be refreshed to see the Lord as our help in all circumstances. Because we tend to forget that the Lord is our help. We, we tend to forget and, and rely back on ourselves. We tend to forget that the Lord is with us and we feel like it's all on us, that we are alone. I mean, just think through how often Christians battle with various shapes and forms of fears. Why do fears emerge? Because we forget we're not alone. We must be reminded who, who is on our side, who is our helper. So because we tend to forget often that the Lord is our helper, that the Lord is on our side, I wonder this morning if you need to hear this particular psalm in a fresh way because you are in need uh, to be reminded that the Lord is our helper that our help is in the name of the Lord. Our help is not in how the market is doing. 
Our help is not in how the inflation is doing. Our help is not in how the economy is doing. Our help is not even in how our country, our government is doing. Our help is not in how the elections will be going this fall. Our help is not in how people will treat us. Our help is in the name of the Lord. But how does this psalm teach this simple message? Let's look at the two stanzas of this psalm, how they show a contrast, a contrast of destinies. What would have happened to God's people if the Lord had not been on their side? That's the first stanza. And what happened to God's people when they remember and see that the Lord was on their side? After this contrast, uh, the author, author will bring up the conclusion at the end of verse 8. So let's look at the two stanzas and then the conclusion. These will pre prepare or, or form the, the three points of the message this morning. The first stanza, consider our destiny if God had not been on our side. Consider our destiny if God had not been on our side. We see this in verses 1 through 5. In, in the first two of the verses, the psalmist repeats twice the call to consider what would have happened if the Lord had not been on their side. It is not fully certain what events the psalmist is referring to. It is possible, Bible teachers suggest that possibly this psalm was written after the battle that David engaged to we're in against the Philistines in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, some of the language from this psalm shows up in that chapter. So it's possible that this psalm was written uh, after the battle that David had against the Philistines in chapter 5 of, Samuel, of 2 Samuel. Why is that significant? What was going on in 2 Samuel chapter 5? Well, if you remember from our first series, our summer series in 1 Samuel... Uh, by the end of 1 Samuel, Saul had died in a very difficult and painful battle for all of Israel. Saul was killed. The armies of Israel were, uh, were torn up and sent away. Uh, they were devastated. The Philistines had taken over. They have recaptured some of the cities, the towns of, Jerusalem, of, uh, of Israel. And in the course of time, David took on the kingship. And uh, he took on an army that had been disbanded. An, a, a nation that had been struck by the Philistines. And he takes on the kingship. And the Philistines hear that David is the new king. So they come again with a vast army to finally finish this new, uh, new king that came after Saul. And in 2 Samuel 5, we get the details of that battle. David seeks the Lord. And the Lord shows up. The Lord tells David what to do and what not to do in such a way that this vast Philistine army that came against David and his men uh, is destroyed. Victory. Now the people of Israel could have looked at David, this new military leader, as the, the secret 
to their success. Look, we finally have a king that can, who can win our battles. They could have looked to him and give him the credit. And David could have used this opportunity to be the means for him to rise up to the throne and, and rise up in the eyes of the people. That he is indeed the valid king to rise up to the throne. The people of Israel could have given the credit to David. David could have been lured to take the credit to himself. This was an incredible time for him for his political aspirations. But he doesn't do that. David doesn't put the spotlight on himself. And he is in the psalm seeking to help God's people not put their confidence in him as their military leader. We don't know if David had known of their aspirations in 1 Samuel 8 when they had asked for a king the first time, someone to win the battles for them. But it's ironic that the first major battle that David has after Saul was killed and he wins this battle, he writes this psalm and he's not only writing this for his own heart, he's writing it for the heart of the people of Israel. As a matter of fact, if you look just the way the psalm starts, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and it's as if the psalmist stops and he wants to make sure that this song is not only his song, but that this song is the nation's song. The psalm says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, oops, pause, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us. This is, uh, it's as if David is taking the posture of the worship leader who is leading in a congregational reading, just like we do here at Park Hills every Sunday morning. We read something together. I set up the, the reading and then you follow. We read together. In a similar way here, David takes the posture of this, of this worship leader who wants to make sure that he's not just singing this himself, that this will become the song of the people. That the truth of the psalm will be ingrained in the minds and the hearts of the entire nation. It's not enough that David as a king learned this lesson. David is interested to teach God's people the same lesson that they would know, that they would declare the lesson laid out for us through the psalm. And the lesson that David wants to hammer home is the big role God had in their past crisis. This is a way of David saying, even if others had been on our side, even if we had all the ammunition, even if we had all the people we needed, if it was not the Lord who was on our side, it would have not made a difference. We would have been destroyed. And in verses 3 to 5, uh, David gives a number of pictures to show how the enemy would have prevailed against them and how they would have become if the Lord had not been on their side. 
it's as if in these pictures, it's as if in these pictures, David has to convince the people of their pitiful state that they would have been ignorant of uh, had the Lord not been on their side. And these pictures are meant to show them their pitiful, awful, hopeless state. So here are the pictures. In verse 3, the first picture, they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. In this picture, the enemy is portrayed as a huge monster with such a big mouth that he could eat up the nation alive in one swallowing. It's a picture of instant doom by an enemy that is so far bigger and superior to the people of God that it would have taken merely a, a swallow up. The picture of total destruction and doom continues in verse 4 and verse 5. It moves from a, the picture of a monster big enough to swallow in one, in one bite everybody. It moves to the picture of a flood that would have swept us away. Verse 4. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. The picture here is of a, a flashing floods, rivers growing over their banks, bringing devastation. And that picture was used in the Old Testament by the prophets, particularly to describe how God would rise up and bring up the nation of Assyria against the Israelites. You can read of that in, Ju in uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 8. This very picture of a flood rising up and rushing waters sweeping over the banks of the river and going over the people, over the nation. This was a picture of God using the enemies to discipline his people. But here, this picture of the torrent of flashing floods is, is used to describe the enemies, the Philistines, as they were acting against God's people. The point of this image is to show and to say no one could have withstood the devastation of this army. Just like no one can stop the devastation of flashing floods bringing about widespread destruction. Their victory over God's people would not have been won by a narrow margin. Not by a prolonged war. No, their doom would have been immediate and unable to withstand, humanly speaking, any resistance. This is the bitter tone of the end of verse 5. Over us would have gone the raging waters. Now, does it surprise you to hear that David would spend these images, would spend time with these images, uh, painting the devastation and the evocative language to show God's people what their destiny would have been if the Lord had not been on their side? I, I wonder, and, and with poetry, you have to wonder, why is, the, why is 
the psalmist using and giving these images one after another. Who needs to be convinced of that? Who needs to hear that? Well, friends, the description of the destiny of God's people, had the Lord not been on their side, emphasizes the humanly helpless situation they were in without the Lord. And the fact that David has to describe and use these pictures shows us that the people of God needed to be reminded of this so that they would not have thought, oh, this was a no-brainer. We got David on our side. He can win the battle. I mean, David fought against Goliath. We We got a king on our side. He will fight for us. You know, churches sometimes who look for pastors, oh, we just got to get the right guy. We just got to get a, a good pastor in. He'll get the job done. And you can apply the principle, the kind of confidence we have in, in human strategy, human abilities, uh, human resources. And, and David spends time to let them know if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been wiped away. David magnifies their serious, helpless situation. And friends, there are times when we need to be reminded of the same truth. What would be our state if the Lord had not been on our side? We would have been left to utter ruin and destruction. And yet society around you would say, well, there's ways you can protect. There's insurance you can get. There's savings you can build up. There's things you can do to prep up for your life. Friends, this psalm challenges us to consider this painful reality, vivid reality, that somehow uh, we we can assume that we can make it through life without the Lord on our side. Do you have confidence that your destiny is fine without the Lord on your side? This is the impression people have had in the psalm. And this is the impression that the psalm is challenging us to consider. For the first five verses, this psalm wants to say, no, apart from the Lord in our lives, apart from his help in our lives, we would be ruined. Our destiny would have been destruction. No human power, no human strategy, no human ability can rescue us from this destiny. Friends, can you say this morning that the Lord is on your side? Are you on the same side with the Lord? Is the Lord on your side? If you're not reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, God is not yet on your side. If you're not reconciled with the Lord through Jesus Christ, God is not yet on your side. But if God is on your side, then the most humanly invincible enemy will not be too difficult for the Lord to handle. Our stability in the face of danger, our stability in the face of destruction should never be in ourselves, but in the Lord's presence with us by our side. So, the first point of the, of the psalm, the first place where the psalmist stops to help us 
realize that we need the Lord as our helper is to pause and take us to the place what would have been our destiny had the Lord not been on our side. But the psalmist goes on and gives a second alternative. What is our destiny when the Lord is on our side? So if the first point is look at our destiny if God was not on our side, in the second stanza, in verses 6 through 7, the point is consider God's authority for our destiny. Consider God's authority for our destiny. In this second part of the psalm, David shifts gears. He's no longer focusing on what our outcome would have been. Instead, he blesses the Lord for how he acted towards his people. Look at verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. In this verse, the danger that David paints for the people of God is facing, again, going back to the monster imagery. Going back to that monster imagery, but this time, it's not the monster who swallows us up, but who grinds in his teeth. It's a painful picture. It's an evocative picture. But he says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us prey, as prey to their teeth. Now, who preserved God's people from this danger? Who preserved David and his men from being ripped apart by the teeth of the enemy? The answer is the Lord. It was the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Now, in pronouncing this blessing towards God, David acknowledges who has the authority over his life and over his destiny and over the destiny of his people. Friends, can you see all the Lord had to do was to decide not to give them as prey. Can you see the Lord in charge of the destiny of his people? And this is a point, the positive point that we see when the Lord is on our side. The psalmist is helping us realize the Lord has authority over the destiny of his people. Even when you are in the midst of difficult circumstances, you and I may not know the play-by-play sequence uh, for the destiny that God has in store for us. For some people, the Lord gives a long life with health. For others, the Lord gives a long life with health challenges. For others, the Lord gives a short life. We're saddened to hear among the 10-year-olds that were killed in Uvalde this week, one of the the students was a believer. And the parent put on, on social media how she had spoken about the Lord to her classmates the week before. Some lives, the Lord calls home early. Because the Lord has authority over our lives. And even when difficult situations happen, what the psalmist says is the Lord does not give the lives of his people to to be torn up in the teeth of the enemy. 
But the Lord has authority over our destinies, whether our lives are long with health or without, whether our lives are short with health or without. God's authority over our destiny is painted here through this picture he did not give us over. And the picture continues. Uh, the, the, the picture of God's authority moves to another setting, another picture, this time to the hunter's picture. In verse 7, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fallers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. In this illustration, the bird has already been caught in the net. The advance of the danger, of the threat, has already surrounded and caught the bird. The bird is trapped. But this illustration shows that even when God's people have been trapped and become captive, when the Lord is on their side, even then there's escaping. When the Lord is on the side of his people, he fights the battle for them in such a way that even when they have become captive, their destiny is still escaping. Now here the picture might say, well, look, the, the story is that the net happens to be broken. Oh, I got lucky. The net happened to be broken. Oh, friends, so psalmist will make it very clear. There's no luck here. It is the Lord who's been on our side. That's why for us as Christians, uh, we should be very cautious of using the word lucky. I remember I was in a meeting many, many years ago. I was a student. I was in a meeting with some pastors and I was talking to them about a situation and I, I used the word that I was, or we were lucky to experience this. It was a good thing. And one old pastor wisely pulled me aside after the meeting and said, Samuel, what did you mean when you used the word lucky there? Because for us as Christians, there is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as just co blessed coincidence. Oh, it is the Lord who's been working in this situation. But the point of the situation is that even when it seems like the person or the bird in this case has been trapped and caught up in the, in, the, in the follower's net. Even then, the Lord opens up a way for escaping because the destiny for God's people is not captivity but escaping. Escape, not a, a captivity, is a destiny of God's people. Some here this morning may feel like the difficulties you are in and the dangers that are surrounding you have trapped you in. And you see no escape, no way out. It feels for you more like being in the hunter's net all around you. But remember, your destiny is under God's authority. His will prevails. And whatever His plans are for us, God's will prevails even when things seem to be far too advanced and way too late. So, the second stanza of the psalm encourages us to look at God's authority over our destiny when God is on our side. 
When he's by our side, he fights the battle for his people. He provides escape for his people. This pattern of God fighting for his people is shown not only in, in the case in, of David's life, in this battle against the Philistines, but it shows up itself supremely in the battle that God has engaged in for his people through his Davidic king, whom he would send centuries after David, Jesus Christ. The battle that the Christian faces is a battle we would never have been able to fight on our own. The rescue that we needed, we could never make it up on our own. The rescue from death to life is not one that we could have accomplished on our own. None of us None of us would have chosen God if he left us to our own desires and abilities. We need to see the Lord as our helper on our side, fighting our battle. Otherwise, we would have been destroyed in utter ruin. Friends, we need to see the Lord and his help in our lives, not only in our salvation, but we need to see the Lord and his help in our lives, in our daily life as Christians, as we face trials and difficulties. We're told in the New Testament that Satan prowls like a raging lion. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. He warns the believers. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The battle we carry on as Christians is a daily battle. And we must look to the Lord for our victory, for our daily battles, with sanctification, with trials, with difficulties. Suffering difficulties are part of the lot the Lord allows to his people to experience in our journey. But he promises to strengthen us. He promises to provide the, the way of escaping, to strengthen us and to restore us. I heard the story of John Collette Ryland. He preached a sermon at Andrew Grifford's uh, funeral in the 1800s. And he said the following at the funeral service of this godly man. Farewell, thou dear old man. We leave thee in possession of death till the resurrection day. But we will bear witness against thee, O king of terrors, at the mouth of this dungeon. Thou shalt not always have possession of this dead body. It shall, not be demanded, it shall be demanded of thee by the great conqueror. And at that moment, thou shalt resign thy prisoner. O ye ministers of Christ, ye people of God, ye surrounding spectators, Prepare, 
prepare to meet this old servant of Christ. At that day, at that hour, when this whole place shall be all nothing, but life and death shall be swallowed up in victory. In the Lord, with the Lord at our side, when everything would be ruin and destruction for the people of God, the destiny of the people of God will be escaping, victory. So after the psalmist challenges us to consider these contrasts, these pictures, what would our destiny be if the Lord had not been on our side? And what is our destiny when we consider the Lord on our side and his authority over our destiny? The lesson is boiled down to verse 8. Consider where you look for help. Here's what the psalmist wants to teach. Now that we have heard this contrast, the psalmist wants God's people to declare, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is a lesson. This is a lesson for God's people to learn, to speak, to celebrate. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and earth. All the verbs in verses 1 through 7 we're in the past tense, focusing on what God has done for his people in the past. But in verse 8, we see the shift, how to consider God now in the present time. This is a lesson for us today as we are considering who is on our side. Our help is in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is not something visible to our eyes. You can't measure or put the name of the Lord in an inventory list. The name of the Lord does not show up visibly to, around us. But perhaps this is why the psalmist says, our help is in the name of the Lord. Because his name reveals his identity and his character. He is the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He is not the higher power of AA. He's not just a general God out there. No, he's the specific God. He's the, the God who made the heavens and the earth. He's the God who revealed himself ultimately in his son, Jesus Christ. We look for help not in what is made in this creation. We look for help in the one who made this creation. That's a big difference. This verse became so significant to one of the reformers that the church in Geneva would make Psalm 124 verse 8 be the call to worship every Sunday for a long season of their lives. No wonder that Luther, in that famous song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, speaks and uses language from this psalm. Did you, did, you, did you see that? A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. This was the famous hymn of the Reformation because in recovering 
in recovering the centrality of the scripture for the church and in recovering the gospel of justification by faith alone, um, it felt like the reformers were battling uh, all the evils, all the, the enemies uh, of the church at that time. Friends, we consider that our help is in the name of the Lord. His identity, his character is our help. Friends, God sent his son Jesus to become incarnate. And here's one of the purposes that we see in the New Testament why Jesus became human. In 1 John 3, 8, this, uh, this reason, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. None of us could have destroyed the works of the devil. None of us could face him on our own. Left our own wisdom and strength, we would have been his servants, not his challengers. In the case of Jesus, the torrent of death did engulf him. The net of suffering and death fully surrounded him. But even out of the net of death, while he was hanging on the cross, God rescued the Davidic king. And through his death as a substitute for sinners who would turn to the Lord, Jesus paid in full for those who would turn to him and would provide for them their escape from their bondage. Friends, our stability and our help is not in ourselves, but in the Lord. So I pray that we would rehearse and learn, and if we know it, that we would refresh in us this confidence that our help is in the name of the Lord. The one who is on our side is the Lord. And the question is, is he yours? There's an old hymn entitled, Who is this that comes from Edom? It's composed by Thomas Kelly. In the last stanza of that hymn, the song goes like this. Mighty victor, reign forever. Wear the crown so dearly won. Never shall thy people, never cease to sing what thou hast done. Thou hast fought thy people's foes. Thou will heal, will heal thy people's woes. It's amazing how this song it encourages, and even this song that I quoted, you encourages God's people to sing of what God has done for them so that in light of the confidence of what God has done for them in the past, they can consider looking to the Lord as their helper in the present. So this morning, as we're closing our song, we're going to learn the song together that we have introduced earlier before the sermon. And we're going to try to sing this song and refresh what the Lord has done for me. Uh, let's pray. And after we pray, we're going to stand and sing the song together. Father, we thank you that you are our helper. We praise you that you are on the side of your people, that you are the one who fights the battles that we could never fight, that you are the one who would escape and bring escaping and redemption from captivity that we could never free ourselves from. Father, we praise you that in Jesus Christ, you have won a battle 
that is eternal. We praise that in Jesus Christ, you give us a confidence that you are on our side and that you will be on our side to the ends of the ages. Father, we pray that this confidence would be ours today, that we would be refreshed. You are our helper in all circumstances. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.